As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Soccer 101, the show where we scratch the soccer itches you never knew you had. On this episode, we're looking at the term golden generation, within the context of soccer, of course. What does it mean? How are golden generations formed, and do they tend to live up to their gold status? My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, two gentlemen who definitely have gold status. Taylor Rockwell, hello. Hello. And Graham Ruthven, howdy. Hello, Ryan Bailey. Hello, Graham Ruthven. Let's get stuck in straight away, shall we, Graham? Could you give us a little precy of the term golden generation? What does it mean, as to your understanding? Yeah, so in soccer, the, the term golden generation is used to describe an exceptionally gifted group of players of similar age who are expected to achieve a level of success beyond um, the, the level that their team has achieved in the past. And it's it's most commonly used in international soccer when you have a group of players who come through the youth ranks and then into the senior team together it's, it's a relative term so in some cases that the gen the golden generation term is used in a broader sense to describe a group that can essentially win it all at, at the top of the game but it could also be used in a, in a relative sense for countries or teams that haven't enjoyed a great deal of success in, in the past, and I'm not meaning this to be shots fired, but for instance, the current USMNT group has been called a, a golden generation, despite the fact that I think we can all agree they're, they're, this particular team is unlikely to win a World Cup, but relatively mm. looking at the talent of past US teams, they weren't that tag. Okay, so uh, a few other examples, if you will, Graham, of golden generations. The one that strikes me that may be currently reigning or at the end of its arc would be Belgium. It seems for the past three or four international tournaments, or maybe more, this Belgium team has been a golden generation that's expected to triumph but hasn't quite lived up to its uh, glistening golden moniker. Yeah, so before this this current group of, of players, Belgium went a long stretch without qualifying for major tournaments. And then the likes of Vincent Kompany and Eden Hazard and Kevin De Bruyne and Ro- Romelu Lukaku and Thibaut Courtois and Jan Vertonghen and Toby Alderweireld 
and others all came along and there was a point where it, it felt like pretty much every exciting young player in European football was was Belgian and you didn't even need to check the nationality of players you already knew that if they were young and exciting they were they were Belgian um but Belgium have it they, they've enjoyed some success in some ways so that they, they made the semi-finals of the 2018 World Cup they've been ranked number one in the in the FIFA rankings for for a long time but they haven't really got close to uh to winning a title when they've had the the talent to do that and I think this World Cup that that uh, starts next month that's a bit weird to say that isn't it the world cup starts next month but it's only i think yep. 40 or 39 days away that feels wow. like maybe belgium's last chance to to win a, a major title with this particular group that they have yes indeed and taylor as graham mentioned it's traditionally associated with international soccer the term golden generation can you apply it to domestic club t- club sides because it makes me think of Manchester United with the class yeah. of 92 and the Busby Babes. Can we call those golden generations, for example? I think you can. I, I think they would be one. Maybe the Barca team that first comes up under Pep Guardiola yeah. is another one where it's a lot of players from the academy when you've got kind of, as Graham said at the beginning, players from a like similar age range coming through a system or playing together for a long time. I think that that can definitely qualify. I think it tends to be national teams because... Just you have everybody from like the same background playing likely for the same youth national teams. And I think you don't have as much, you know, players being signed on transfers or being sold off. And so I think you can have golden generations at club level, but I think they're much more temporary or impermanent. Whereas with national teams, I think you have more time for those squads to coalesce and kind of build something. Okay, so Graham, how do you create a golden generation? Obviously, uh, with international soccer generation has to be formed from the player pool you have and in domestic mm-hmm. teams it depends on your budget or, or your recruitment predominantly but so maybe could you can you talk us through how a golden generation comes to yeah. be is is it just so that pure luck or yeah so th- this is the big question right because if the answer to this was simple everyone would do it and everybody would have a, a golden generation and a big part of it is just down to luck down to being in the right place at the right time you can however help prepare the ground for the, the the growth of a golden generation through good grassroots systems and good academies. And 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 Ryan, you mentioned or you asked me about Belgium there at the top of the show. And I, I tried to do as much digging and research into what Belgium did right. What how is it that a country that didn't really have a strong history of producing great players produced all these wonderful world-class players all at the one time. And for Belgium, a man called Michael Sablon was was appointed technical director of the National Association in the early 2000s. And he came up with this plan to, to turn the country into one of the strongest national teams in the world. He demanded that all Belgian national teams from the, the youth ranks up to the senior team, that they play in a 4-3-3. He made dribbling and 1v1 duels a core part of what players at all levels were being taught. So some countries will maybe lead lean into the the possession approach obviously we've seen that with Spain in the past he decided that Belgium's identity as a football nation would be would be based on this 1v1 idea um, they also built a new football uh, a national football center on the outskirts of Brussels they made all, co- all coaching courses free 
a number of coaches in the country increased dramatically. I saw one report that said the number had gone up tenfold from when they started that and then 10 years later, which which kind of says says a lot. The, the University of Brussels was employed to audit youth teams across the country to make sure that they were following recommendations made by the, the Belgian FA. They commissioned another university to do this incredibly broad study of, of youth players where basically Sablon wanted to know how much how, how much of the ball youth players were seeing. And so the whole project was filming uh, young players. They filmed 1,500 matches and they analysed how many times they were they were touching the ball in those matches. And the university came back with this study, which basically said that they were not touching the ball enough. Um, and from there, the Belgian FA recommended that youth teams would play in 2v2 games or 5v5 or 8v8, depending on the age group. Obviously, the 8v8 games tended to be the older age, age group and 2v2 were, were maybe the younger players. So that this was all geared towards creating a, a, a single identity for Belgian football and for strengthening those grassroots. And and yes, there is an element of luck in that you could replicate what Belgian have done and not produce the players that they have. Luck is a factor, but you definitely give yourself a better chance of producing a golden generation by doing the sort of thing that Belgium did. We've seen it similarly with the German FA and some of the things that mm. they did in the early 2000s. We've seen it fairly recently with what the English FA have done, and that has that has strengthened grassroots in English football, and you're seeing the, the product of that in their national team as well. Graham, I, 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 I want to stay with Belgium for a moment because I think you, you've done a great job of outlining all of the or like the, the technical side of things, how they develop the talent. But I think also what can sometimes be seen as luck, I think is fair. There is some luck in there, but I would also say there are external factors. One of the things I always think about is so interesting with Belgium, for so long those national teams would self-destruct because you had essentially a division in the locker room of Flemish-speaking Belgians, French-speaking Belgians. They did not get along. They would have actual fistfights because they were so divided. And one thing that I've read historically is that the influx of, of immigrants and the incorporation of immigrants into the national team or the children mm -hmm. of immigrants sort of broke down that divide a little bit because now you had other languages or you had to find a common language to get uh, different people and disparate people into one unit. And it sort of broke down those divisions such that you could then build up this team as more of a collective unit as opposed to individual sort of cliques or, or language-based factions. And, and I think that is a big part of it is anytime you get an opportunity to rebuild a program and reincorporate or actually incorporate people who were previously maybe not as involved or allowed to be involved, I think you end up getting a group that is maybe more reflective of the country itself or of the player pool itself. And I think that only works as a positive. But I would argue that is some deliberate uh, work on the part of the FA. It's also just shifting demographics and lots of different factors coming together with a little dash of luck on top. <laughs> Taylor, to expand upon uh, what Graham was saying about the creation mm -hmm. of a golden generation, do you think it's fair to say that there's influence and in politics at play as well? Um, yeah. We know that many national, well, many nations, uh, you know, they try to, or they, they wield power through the power of their national soccer teams. And just thinking about Germany, for example, which Graham mentioned from 2004, where they had that 10 year plan and they ended up winning the World Cup in 2014. And it was very grassroots. It was all about investment. It was all about changing the structure of the Bundesliga teams and their youth development as well. So you could argue they're doing that uh, for political reasons as well. So it's not quite that a bunch of kids were really good at soccer at the same time. There's, there's design and there's yeah. greater intentions behind it. 
Yeah, and I think if you look at that 2014 squad for a second, it's hard to say that is a golden generation. I think that is one of the misnomers, if you'll forgive me a tangent for a moment. I think anytime you have a very, very good team, people sometimes decide that that team collectively is a golden generation. But when you look at them, if you've got a couple 33-year-olds, a couple 28-year-olds, a couple 26-year-olds, and a few 20-year-olds, I wouldn't say that's a generation necessarily. I think of it as a closer age range. And, and so I think like that German team is pretty spread out. I would assume they're all sort of beneficiaries of Das Reboot and the changing of the structure. But I think you can get teams that are just very, very collectively good, but aren't necessarily a golden generation. I think this answers a question you're going to ask later on, Ryan. But I think for me, the difference in success is if you are called a golden generation before the tournament or after the tournament. Uh, because sometimes I think it's a name that just gets applied to a talented group of individuals, cough, cough, England. And then sometimes there are teams that get that because they have proven it by coming through and then having the success. I would say Spain would be a good example of that. Shots fired from Rockwell. Noted. <laughs> uh, let's take a quick breather. When we come back, we'll dig into that and we'll dig into whether being a golden generation is a benefit or a bit of an albatross. Back shortly. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to Soccer 101. We are talking about golden generations. Graham, um, we've mentioned a few golden generations already. Belgium, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and they have been a very good Belgium team. They went, uh, if memory serves correctly, finished third in the last World Cup. Uh, and they have mm -hmm. excelled, certainly uh, done better than previous generations, although they had a good team in the 80s as well, of course. Um, but is it a good thing? Is it, does, it, does it bring... Un unwarranted pressure to a team to be called a golden generation. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think being labelled a, a golden generation certainly comes with a, a whole lot of pressure, particularly if it's if it's from a, a young age and you're you're you you have certain expectations placed on you by by the press or by fans. Yeah, that can add a, a whole lot of pressure. And obviously, uh, England's golden generation of the early to mid two thousands is is probably the best example of of pressure getting to a, a group of players that the English press they they hounded that team and the expectation was that England should win every tournament they enter. And of course, they didn't really. Um, in the grand scheme of things, come close to, to doing that. And a, a lot of English golden generation players have gone into punditry. So Rio Ferdinand, Michael Owen, Scholes and, and Nevon. The reason I bring that up is there's actually quite a bit of content out there on them speaking about what went wrong during that time. And there's a clip of Ferdinand talking on uh, BT Sport. And at that time, Lampard and Gerrard were both BT Sport pundits. Obviously, they've both gone into management now. But they, they were talking about when they they all went away with England, the the pressures and how 
um, basically there was a mistrust of of everyone involved in that setup because of the the pressure that was put on them. They were they were mis- they they didn't trust the the media. They didn't trust the manager, the the FA, the setup, and they didn't trust each other particularly either. So the the clip that I'm talking about, Ferdinand is is talking about how he wouldn't sit next to Frank Lampard or Steven Gerrard because they had those those club rivalries between Chelsea and and Liverpool and and Manchester United. So. That was that was a factor in all that, and um, I think it's remarkable when you look at some of the golden generations that have succeeded. I think of Spain winning the 2010 World Cup. You obviously have that rivalry at that time between Barcelona and Real Madrid, which was a real defining rivalry of of that time in club soccer. You have people like Sergio Ramos and and Gerard Piqué, and obviously further down the line, that ten that 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 started to fray a little bit, and and there was a little bit of tension. But at that time, it very much felt like everyone was on the same page, and actually sometimes the pressure of being a golden generation can can galvanize and embolden a group look at look at france in 1998 and i'd like to talk a little bit more about france because i think that story is, is a fantastic story but the backdrop that they played against as the host nation and a team that hadn't won a world cup before and then all the societal factors and the racism and everything that that, that preceded that tournament and they had emmy jacques who he kind of used that pressure to galvanize his dressing room. And there's loads of tales of Jacques giving these dressing room talks, creating the siege mentality. So I think it really depends on how a group and a manager handles that pressure and where they channel that energy. But it is difficult to handle. And there's certainly lots of cases of golden generations that fail to live up to the expectation. And a large part of that was down to the pressure they were under. Yeah, which I think again points to the idea that golden generation is 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 sort of a media construction. I, I don't think many teams would say like we are the golden generation, uh, but I think it, it's a thing when you look at the amount of talent a team has, it becomes a title that is kind of given to them or awarded upon them. But to Graham's point, if you're that England team and you see the coverage and it's this is like the best team we've ever had, they're all so good, we're gonna win everything, and then in the camp you have people not sitting next to each other and having squabbles and having rivalries. It probably does not feel the same as the coverage is portraying it, and I think that sets you up for failure. That, that's where I'm saying I think a lot of the times if you're getting that gold, golden generation tag after you've achieved something, that France 98 team, for example, I think it, it then speaks to this team came together or maybe was already unified and found a way to win and found a way to get this result, and then you look at the talent and you look at what they went on to, and yeah, that was definitely a golden generation. I think it's a lot of pressure if it's given to you heading into the tournament versus uh, certainly less pressure as you're coming out champions. Yeah, I think, Taylor, for me, ultimately boils down to your point about whether the, the term is applied pre-success or post-success. Yeah. For the US, for example, calling this current um, group of players a golden generation doesn't feel incredibly helpful at this point. No, it doesn't. And, and I think what what it can be, I agree with you. What I would say is like it can be a sign of a team that is better than they've been ever before. Ivory Coast is is one that gets sort of pointed at as being uh, a, a golden generation for I think from like twenty like two thousand six or so to like maybe the early twenty tens, uh, and th- and that's a team that has the Torres and has Drogba, uh, has uh, Solomon Kalou is in there. I think that's the one. Gervinho uh, also there, and that's a team that eventually has success. But I think it's about the kind of this team that has so much talent that plays together that 
like has hype, always has expectation. Mm. Even if they don't end up winning a tournament or going really far, there is always an expectation that they are going to be good. And I think this this current U.S. team, when they are have everybody fit and ready to play and able to play, I think is probably the most talented team, is the most talented U.S. team we've ever had. So in that way, it is a golden generation. But then to say they're a golden generation, they better win something, that's where the kind of narrative shifts a little bit. That's where I think it becomes slightly unfair. I think also... Uh, to continue this extended monologue, that England team, I don't say they're not a golden generation or I don't like take shots at them just to take shots. I say it because so so often I think teams that have success sort of have teams that have or players that have played together, either maybe a few that, that are the leaders or have existing relationships or they've got a huge part of that team is all coming from one team or one league or whatever. So there's a lot of familiarity there and they're playing a style that is familiar to them, looking at Belgium, looking at Germany. Whereas that England team, I mean, you, you'll get the players talking about it and they'll give you lots of sort of personal anecdotes. There's a really good TIFO video that breaks it down. And it's essentially that they had four players in their starting 11, maybe five, who were all wanting to do the exact same thing and be in the exact same space. And even when Sven Gorn Eriksson would make changes, he would bring in players who were doing the same thing. And it wasn't necessarily about building the best team that got the best out of that gold generation. It was about putting the best players on the pitch, the biggest names, and then assuming that those players would be good enough to get something done. And I think a golden generation isn't always just the the tip-top golden tier best players all together and then they're winning. It's the best players who can come together to make the best team that plays cohesive soccer that gets results. And and even when Ericsson, Sven Gorn Ericsson would make, occasionally he did make changes to try and kind of forge a better team unit. And Ryan, maybe you'll remember this as an England fan, but do you remember the commotion there was around Owen Hargreaves playing games for England in that central centre mm-hmm. of midfield at that 2006 World Cup, where basically Sven Gorn Ericsson was saying, right, we understand that we can't play... Uh, Gerard and Lampard essentially together in the same midfield we need someone to glue that together and Owen Hargreaves at that time was playing for Bayern Munich and winning yeah. Champions League but the media just couldn't fathom the idea that you would need someone like that and they wanted just the best players on the pitch the best individuals on the pl- on the pitch and that that didn't work for England at all so absolutely I think that the the media and people talk about you know that some of the the failings of the England players at that time but I, th- I think it was the whole mix that that stopped that England from that England team from succeeding and and really achieving what they what they could have done. Because you look at the quality yeah. of that squad for the 2006 World Cup, and I can name that team pretty much front front to back because they were so good. You know, Ashley Cole left back, Gary Neville, Rio Ferdinand, John Terry, Hargreaves, Lampard, uh, Gerard, Joko, Wayne Rooney. Like what a team that is on paper. But that that's that that was the mistake that they made was they didn't really understand they needed to build a team rather than just a collection of of individuals. Yeah, that's an interesting one though in Hargreaves as well, Graham. And I think it was a time also. Um, this is a slight tangent, but when the the press, the soccer press in England, didn't understand players who didn't play in England, um, and mm. they wouldn't have been familiar with the Bundesliga, despite Bayern Munich having the pomp that they did and do have. So I think there was an element of that as well. But that's a, that's a slight tangent on 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 the discussion. Completely agree with you there, um, Graham. Let's finish up by. We, we, uh, we've, we've mentioned on this episode some good examples of golden generations. So let's categorize them, perhaps, uh, into successes and failures. Can we start yeah. off going with a few examples of successful golden generations? 
Yeah, so I, I teased them earlier. I want to speak a little bit more about that that France team in the late 90s and into the, the early 2000s. And I know France now are this international soccer superpower. And obviously they've they had a degree of success in, in the 80s with Platini and, and, and the Euros there. But as recently as 1998, they'd never won a World Cup. And that changed with that golden generation they had for 1998, a tournament that they obviously hosted. And that was a team that included Zinedine Zidane, Thierry Henry, Patrick Vieira, Lillian Turam. This is a ridiculous list. Lillian Turam, Laurent Blanc, Didier Deschamps, Fabian Barthez, Marcel Desailles, David Trezeguet. I'm missing off loads and loads of players as well who were, who were world-class. Just an incredible collection of, 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 of talent. And they won the 1998 World Cup. Then they won the, the the Euros as well in 2000. So back-to-back major tournaments. And then kind of towards the end of this generation, they made the, the final of the, the 2006 World Cup as well, where they lost to, to Italy on penalties. And, and the most remarkable thing about this team was the societal backdrop that they succeeded against. So this was a team made up of players with uh, from ethnic backgrounds from North Africa, West Africa, the Caribbean, Pacific Islands, Armenia, the Basque country. It was a, a real mix. And before the tournament, you had this wave of racism in, in France around the team, the National Front, who are a political party, a, a far-right political party in France. They campaigned against them. Jean-Marie Le Pen um, said it wasn't a true French team because of the background of, of so many players. Obviously, a disgusting comment. So for this team to unite the nation there were one million people, over one million people on the Champs-Élysées in Paris celebrating when they won the World Cup. You had Zinedine Zidane's face, um, obviously of Algerian background. He His face is projected onto the, the Arc de Triomphe in, in, in Paris and he becomes a real icon of, of not just this team, but of the country as a whole. So all those images, it really kind of hit home how their success was about more than just soccer. So when I think of golden generations that have succeeded, that France team instantly rises to the top of the list for all the reasons I've, I've explained. It was it was about more than just winning some trophies. Fantastic. Uh, Taylor, any other successful golden generation examples? I think I would put that Spain uh, national team on that list. I think they, they do sort of deviate from my, like, they all have to be from one age range. But that said, when you look at the team that won the 2010 World Cup, uh, Pepe Reina was 27, Xavi Alonso 28, Victor Valdez 28, Iker Casillas 29. So you've got a golden generation of goalkeepers in there. David Villa was 28. Uh, I think there's there's a few more in that, like Arbaloa, I think of the same age. I have the squad in front of me, if that weren't obvious. But then you've got a younger sort of generation coming through that will become dominant. So you've got like almost two generations in there, even if they are only separated by a couple of years. But I think that that's a team where you look at the kind of age ranges, how long they played together, especially at youth level, and then the dominance of that Barcelona team, the blending of it with Real Madrid. And I think it was what Ica Casillas and Carlos Puyol, who sort of supposedly mended fences and brought everyone together. The less said about those two, uh, at least this week, the better, though. But I think uh, Spain would be another one for me on the successful side. And then I've got a few nominations for less successful. Go on, Taylor, go on. I mean, I'll ask you, where would you put Belgium? Or is it even fair to categorize them because they're an active golden generation, so to speak? Not trying to pass the buck here. I, I would be curious what Graham says about that, because I think I am less informed on them on the technical side of things. Mm. And and I think I just think of them as like, yeah, they're a really good team. They've got a ton of talent. So, yeah, sure, they're one of those. But I, I feel like Graham will have maybe a more useful answer. If they don't win this World Cup, mm-hmm. I think they will be remembered as a as a failed golden generation, which which is which is harsh because, you know, number one ranked team in the world for a number of years and made the World Cup semifinals in 2018. But that's the that's the criteria. I think a golden generation really needs to win something big 
to re- to be remembered as a success yeah. and Belgium just haven't haven't done that and because of the age of their players now um basically that core of pretty much every single so Vincent Company is a manager now so he's not he's not involved in that generation but Hazard De Bruyne they're all 30 now so you're probably looking at this as the last opportunity are we I feel like it's it's odd that we haven't brought up Brazil at any point. I, I don't know if that's just because they're always so consistently good or expected to be so good that it's hard to say they have like one truly golden generation. I would guess that that, that Pele team or one of the Pele teams that won, what, three of four World Cups or whatever the ridiculous number was, uh, would, would probably qualify as a golden generation, though I think you've got... Lots of different age ranges coming through there. Maybe that 2002 winning team yeah. where where you've got, I think, a lot of players aged in their late 20s, early 30s. That feels like maybe a golden generation that it seemed like they might be past it. They lose the 98 final, but then they go on to win in 2002. And maybe that's their sort of vindication that maybe is their golden generation. Yeah, I, th- I would agree with that. You look at that, the team that, that played in 2002, they've got, uh, Ronaldo, obviously Brazilian Ronaldo, uh, Rivaldo, Ronaldinho, Cafu, Roberto Carlos. Wow. You know that that is not a bad group, and certainly in Kaka. terms of the attack. Twenty-year-old Kaká in there too. Just throw him in there yeah. for good measure. Not bad. Why not? Not bad at yeah. all. <laughs> not bad. Uh, Taylor, any other failure nominations? Yeah, uh, we we've talked plenty about England. I would say. Maybe maybe it's harsh, but the Portugal team of the early two yeah. thousands, especially that two thousand two. Uh, World Cup where they were not just because of the, the loss of the United States, but that was I remember hearing about them as a golden generation and all the talent they had and the ex- expectations were so high. And so for them to lose that opener to the United States was a really seismic moment, again, not just because it was the U.S. and all the coverage that got, but because it was a team that were expected to go really far. And there they were humbled in the opener. But there was a a massive amount of talent there. That's another one where it sort of feels like maybe the pressure of the moment and the expectation of the country did maybe get to them and then follow that with, what, 2004, 2006. They they knock out England, but they don't end up winning. They go to the final and lose to Greece. So I don't know if that is harsh for me, but I feel like that generation of Portugal, there was always an expectation that they would win something that they didn't maybe puts them in the failure column. Portugal are a really funny one because... They, they've kind of had a golden generation split into different phases over yeah. about 20 years yeah. so the initial the initial portugal golden generation was the one there was there was a youth euros in the in 1989 and then i think in the in the early 90s where actually this term golden generation i've read a lot of stuff can be traced back to that that portugal youth team and that included players like luis figo and rui costa so those players were kind of in their peak in the late 90s early 2000s where portugal failed then you have kind of like a second phase with players like Ricardo Carvalho and Deco and that's the team that loses that Euro 2004 final on on home soil obviously um, Portugal hosted that and they lost to Greece as well so that that kind of became an image of how that phase should have achieved more but then weirdly Portugal then have a dip I would say in talent at around the mid 2010s where they then win the Euros, they went to Euro 2016. And then you look at the team now in 2022, as things stand, and I would say there's a very strong argument that this is the bit, the strongest, most talented group of players that they've ever had. So is this the golden generation? Or are we still calling the one in the late 90s, early 2000s, the golden generation? It's, it's a little bit weird to kind of uh, categorize that with Portugal. I don't know where I stand with, with, with Portugal's golden generation. Maybe at a different carrot levels, Graham. Like this twenty-four carrot in twenty sixteen, and it's a different carrot now. 
Sure. Yeah. Let's start that. Uh, let's start that category. I don't know. I actually know nothing about gold. So on you go. I've got one honorable mention that is probably closer to a successful golden generation. It's not one that came to mind for me I, in my research. Uh, Reddit had this one. Uh, Australia in 2006 would probably be their golden generation. They had uh, Tim Cahill, Harry Kuehl, Bresciano, Viduca, Emberton, Schwarzer, Aloisi. Uh, I would say maybe uh, Tim Cahill and uh, Harry Kuehl would be the two uh, major names of that team, but that's one that uh, ends up getting out of their group. They beat Japan. They get uh, a, a draw against Croatia to make it to the knockout round. They lose to Italy in the first knockout round, but in like the 95th minute, and that's the Italy team that goes on to win that World Cup. So I think when you go kind of toe-to-toe with the eventual champions and you make it out of your group, if you're Australia, I think that's probably a pretty successful one with a lot of teams, especially Mark Viduca, that I, I still remember fondly. Indeed. Australia calling that a golden generation, Taylor. That's a funny name. I'd have called it a chuswaza. <laughs> and I would say that is definitely a word that sounds like it's Australian. Indeed. I can't resist the Simpsons <laughs> reference whenever I can <laughs> squeeze one in, Tater. Uh, I so think that's what go. that was. It's, yeah, there you go. Of course, most things I say are, Taylor. Most things I say are. Uh, golden generations, there you are, listener. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Soccer 101. Graham, gold medal for you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. What carrot is it? 24, baby. I think that's the best carrot, I think. Sounds good. Sure, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Taylor Rockwell, stay golden, pony boy. I shall do my best. I'm assuming I'm aluminum foil spray-painted gold. (laughs) It's a matter of perception. If you you win a World Cup, Taylor, then then you go 24 carrot. I think that's how it works. But we shall. I better get on that then. Indeed. And listener, thank you very much for joining us on this episode. We'll be back with another one on the feed very shortly. But for now, catch you later.